0: My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. Hey everyone, Mikel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why we are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast. But we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day. Go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show and today's guest is the CEO of the Miami Blockchain Center and she is focused on growing the decentralized ecosystem. She's a public speaker, content creator, strategic business advisor and provides creative and customized options for her clients. Today we will be discussing Bitcoin and its future in our modern world. Please welcome to the show Erica Gemma. Erica, how are you?
1: I am doing well, Mikkel. How are you?
0: very good thank you for asking erica why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of walk us through your backstory how did you get working at the blockchain center how did you end up becoming ceo and taking over this company how did you get into bitcoin in the first place
1: so my entrance into bitcoin is very similar to a lot of the early adopters to bitcoin i was interested in politics i learned about ron paul because i was very frustrated as a teenager with the Uh, just results in the people that I saw on TV that were representing us politically. So just dove headfirst into the Ron Paul 2012 campaign. I became a delegate in Washington state. I think I was, I was 19 at the time. So I was probably one of the youngest delegates in the state of Washington. I saw how the state completely corrupted that campaign. Um, So many crazy stories from of just like fraud on every single level to try to silence him i saw how the news media made him seem like he was crazy when in reality it was like this guy has raised more money from veterans than any group before him so um just being being involved with the ron paul campaign i learned about bitcoin and like many abusive relationships after you get out of the relationship, you kind of brain dump everything. So after Ron Paul lost, I figured out that we were in an abusive relationship with the state and brain dumped everything. So I forgot about Bitcoin. I moved to Florida. I have a degree in aeronautics from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. So very technical school, but I still would do discussions of, you know, Austrian versus Keynesian economics on campus. I would do speeches on like the corruption of the mainstream media very, very libertarian worldview, but forgot about Bitcoin. Now, after I graduated from college, I started working for a bank, a a pretty big bank. They do commercial lending for their aircraft leasing division, which is essentially buying, trading, leasing, commercial airplanes to airlines. And at the time, the leader of and the CEO of CIT Bank was this gentleman named John Thane, now, John Thane is a very legendary banker. He did the merger between Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. You know, does this merger, makes $50 million. A week later, Lehman Brothers falls, and he gets away, like, gets another great job, right? So as a young person working at CIT Bank, they had a group call for all of the young, new people. And at the end, they had a Q&A session. Now, I just remember sitting there, racking my brain, because I wanted to ask a really good question. And I remembered Bitcoin. So I asked him and everyone else in the room what they thought about Bitcoin, and he and everybody else pretty much laughed at me. This was 2015, and of 2015. So that was when I went back down the rabbit hole, because I was like, okay, well, if everybody thinks that this is fringe, then I need to re-research what I had already known about it. And... From there, just you know, continuing to see the intersection between the business aspect of Bitcoin and blockchain, as well as my libertarian, anarcho-capitalist worldview, um, I kind of knew that this was the direction that I wanted to be in.
0: So, and do you kind of remember what the price of Bitcoin was at that time, 2015-ish?
1: Yeah, so it was definitely a three-digit Bitcoin. Currently, we're at a five-digit Bitcoin. So. <laughs>
0: Because I started getting into Bitcoin at the very tail end of 2016, going into 2017 is when I started really diving into it. And I watched it go all the way up and all the way back down. Yeah. You know, and I mean, anybody who's listened to this show for a while know that you know, I lost a couple of hundred thousand dollars getting into altcoins and different types of products like that. So that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. But I've continued to read a little bit and stay on the sidelines until recently where I've really seen a switch. And I mean, I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin kind of just hovered for the last maybe year or so. We've seen it go up, come back down, go up, come back down. But I really believe that we're about to see this next big bull run. Just like I called the beginning of the bull run for gold, I'm calling the beginning of the Bitcoin run here again. And I think we're, we're going to the moon this
1: time. I definitely would have to agree with you. I think you're seeing, you know, Bitcoin started trading on markets at about five cents and they used to give away Bitcoin for free in faucets. And now we hit an all-time high of about 19,000. On Coinbase, it's actually interesting because it says we hit an all-time high of (laughs) $19,666 and then it dumped, right? Yeah. But, you know, as markets get more um, mature, you're seeing with Bitcoin that what happened in 2017 was that futures exchange opened on the CME. So a lot of people attribute the, uh, the, the crash of Bitcoin also to futures markets opening up because the day futures markets opened up was pretty much the day that the bear market also started. So how does that work? People
0: were betting against it? They were short selling or like, I don't understand what you mean by the futures were the ones that crashed the market.
1: So what you could have is that on the futures market, you're betting on the price of Bitcoin and you're not actually having to hold the asset. So you're not
0: holding the underlying.
1: Yeah, you have no skin in the game. And so you can win on either side. So let's say that you're playing on, you know, some... A Binance, a Coinbase, a crypto.com, and you're betting that Bitcoin's going to go up in this world. But then if you understand how to trade futures, you are in the CME and you're betting that the price of Bitcoin is going to go lower and you don't actually have to hold the asset. But either way, you're going to win because you have two different markets that you're playing in. So I don't really. I don't really like the whole like I, I see why futures make sense for things like farming and for the reason that they were initially created well but and i think
0: if you worked in the aviation industry then you can probably understand hedging you know your price of oil uh and from that jet fuel going out six months a year 18 months something like this so that you have a steady level of the price of a commodity that you need to use for your business but maybe for bitcoin why would you need it to be on the futures market? It's not a commodity.
1: Yeah, I mean, technically it's a commodity, but it's really not. So I just see it as more price manipulation that's happening. I mean, and and you're actually seeing even to this day that depending on when CME contracts expire, you'll always see shifts in the price because people who are playing with futures contracts are generally your more experienced investors who understand how to do traditional finance. And they also have a lot more capital to play with than your regular retail investor. So I just wish that Wall Street would, I mean, partly we need Wall Street, but that's the ethos of some people. But personally, I don't think that we do. I think that this is a form of money that is outside of the control of governments. And, you know, some people do love when the price goes up and don't get me wrong. Like I also love when the price goes up, but If the goal here is to bank the unbanked, the goal is to make a form of money that uh, cannot be stopped, it, it's uncensorable, then we don't necessarily need Wall Street to be playing with us. So, mm-hmm.
0: so- I understand, of course, you're going to like it when the price goes up. But did you ever lose faith when the price went down when people were calling the death of Bitcoin, which I think, I mean, you could probably count them. It's probably been like 100 times like this, this, this money, this source of money has been called dead 100 plus times. Did you lose faith, Erica, or were you, did you hold fast the entire time?
1: I held fast the entire time. Good for you. I think that for me, like especially the way that my path worked was I was very comfortable working in the aircraft leasing industry for the company that I was working with. But I did feel like you need to make a shift. I felt personally like conscience, higher power, whatever you guys want to call it, um, was telling me that now is a time in your life, take a risk, get involved on the front of this digital currency. Plus, I think really understanding the fundamentals of it, understanding that the world is moving in a direction where our money system is going to reflect the world naturally. And the world is increasingly moving online. So the money system is going to reflect that. And I have no doubt in my mind that that was going to happen. So plus to... I always saw people that called Bitcoin dead were people that were usually already very wealthy, usually already living in the United States and usually didn't have an understanding for technology, but paradigm shifts, create prosperity and this is a clear paradigm shift. Every advancement in technology has always been one that makes us more interconnected. That's why the internet was so great. And here's just another level of being more interconnected to the point where we're not going to need third parties dictating what we can or cannot do.
0: I definitely agree with that. For me, I lost faith in all of the altcoins, I'll be very honest, I sold every single altcoin that I had, and I had a portfolio of probably 20 different things, and I sold at not a great price. The only thing that I held and still hold today is Bitcoin. I mean, I had a cold wallet, I took what I sold, I put it into Bitcoin, I put it in a cold wallet, and it's securely offshore. That is the only one that I actually had faith in. And I have my own reasons for that. But I'm, I'm curious, your opinion, Erica, why is it Bitcoin? Why is it not Ethereum? Why is it not Litecoin? Why is it not Monero or one of the other 2,000 coins that are out there? Why is it Bitcoin that you like so much?
1: That's a very good question. So just to clarify, there is Bitcoin, there is altcoins, and then there's shitcoins. And <laughs> there's definitely a difference between three. I see Bitcoin as this sound money, right? This form of money that is outside of the control of governments that follows sound economic principles. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But then there are altcoins, which are speculative tech investments. That They're not trying to be sound money. They're not trying to be the answer to um, you know countries that get censored from the financial system. They are speculative tech investments. And then there are shitcoins, which are Scams, mostly. Scams, an idea, you know, a good project, maybe one dev working on it, but they really have no use case. A lot of times it's just a white paper and an idea. So there are three categories. I do think there is value in some alternative coins, uh, but you just really have to make sure that you understand the technology and the sector that they're trying to disrupt. Now, when it comes to Bitcoin, I do think that it's very important. I'm glad that you said that you only hold Bitcoin because even Warren Buffett, he says, don't invest in things that you don't understand. Bitcoin is something that people can easily understand, especially for someone like you and anybody who's listening who understands gold. Uh, Bitcoin was, Bitcoin is, is the first. It's the reason why blockchain exists. It's the reason why all of these alternative coins exist. And what you're seeing is that it is an iteration of a project that uh, cryptographers have been trying to build since 1989. The first person was David Chom, and he made cryptographic protocols, and all the way to 2004 where you have Hal Finney. A lot of people think Hal Finney, he died, but a lot of people think that he's Satoshi Nakamoto. But you just see iterations of people trying to create a form of money for the internet, and Bitcoin is the first one that is widely adopted and used. So for one, it has the fundamentals of technology that's been built on it for a while. The second thing is that when you see things like, um, if anybody's ever read like the Cypherpunk Manifesto, it is essentially uh, a manifesto created by cypherpunks talking about how we want to remain private in a world where things are getting harder and harder to become private in, and that involved money. Now, also one of the big pulls of the Cypherpunk Manifesto is this understanding of Austrian economics. I feel like most of your listeners probably understand the difference between like Austrian and Keynesian economics.
0: I think so. I, I hope so. We we come from a very libertarian perspective and we t- try to talk about business and finance quite a bit. Um, but But go for it.
1: Yeah. So I mean, just from an Austrian economic perspective, there is qualities of money that make money good money, that make money sound money, and Bitcoin is a, a software code that is written in order to really honor Austrian economic principles, and it's really built to be modeled after gold. So when you look at all the different traits of what makes money good money, you know, a limited supply cannot be duplicated, cannot be created without some type of effort being put into it. Um, you see that Bitcoin follows each one of these economic principles. And also, you don't need to trust somebody that it follows these economic principles because it is written as open source code, meaning that anyone that could read code can go online and verify that this protocol is doing what it says that it's going to do.
0: So what about all the naysayers out there that who who have comments like, Bitcoin is, is nothing, it has no intrinsic value, it's based on nothing, um, it's just uh, make-believe. Like, I guess that's the first one that people kind of come up with and I can think of several more, maybe a little bit less polite, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first thing that I would tell them is like, what is the dollar backed by? The full faith and credit of the US government, which is, you know, currently went a trillion dollars in debt more in the month of uh, April or May. So what is your dollar backed by is the first question. And then they have nothing to say. Um, the second thing is like, when you see that Fidelity started mining Bitcoin in 2013, when you see that uh, in 2015, the CFTC labeled Bitcoin a commodity in 2016, you saw the Chicago Mercantile Exchange launch a Bitcoin price index. Uh, when you see Bitcoin futures starting to be trade. And when you say that, that Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs are trading Bitcoin, when you see that MicroStrategy is hedging, and they're buying Bitcoin, uh, they, I think they just bought $250 million worth of Bitcoin. Um, and you're seeing people like Paul Tudor Jones come out and say that he's allocating 2% of his portfolio. I would say that a lot of times what happens on the mainstream like thought process is they're they like, do what I say, not what I do. So I think that when people say that it's it's based off of nothing, It's just because they really haven't done their research. Also, I would tell them that, especially US citizens, I get a little bit saucy with them because I'm like, you don't understand because you live in the United States. You know, the number one city in the world where Bitcoin is adopted is Caracas, Venezuela, because these people actually need the money. It's not that they are trying to get rich, like we are here, it's that they don't want to get poor. It's that this form of money, as volatile as it may be, is less volatile than their fiat national currency.
0: It cannot be devaluated. It cannot be inflated or manipulated in that way. I mean,
1: it cannot be inflated or manipulated as easy because with fiat currencies it's just like the person in charge just says all right federal reserve i'm going to print this much money and there's nobody any nothing anyone else can do about it in the world of bitcoin you would have to get major consensus among many people and you don't even know who they are in order to really change something like that
0: but you're not able to increase the supply the supply is at a set amount for what another 200 years or something like that and until that's it and until We've reached saturation and finite, and no more can be created. And please correct me if I'm wrong.
1: No, you're right. 21 million. It's written in the code. There will only be ever 21 million Bitcoins in existence.
0: So it's not like the US government where, okay, well, we want to spend a trillion dollars on something. These days, they don't even have to turn on the printing press, which is really slang. Like, I mean, they don't have to do anything. It's like if you have a, a calculator, you can probably do in the same way. It's just numbers on a computer screen. So anybody, it's any, ones
1: and zeros. Exactly, it's just ones
0: and zeros. Any that you tell that people tell you that Bitcoin is, you know, it's just electronic. There's nothing there. That's there's no intrinsic value to it. But I mean, there's nothing intrinsic to a U.S. dollar as well. Like most of the money in the U.S., whatever supply you're looking at, M1s, M2s, I mean there's nothing there either. We're not talking about pieces of paper even. It's just information on a computer as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, the estimate is that about 8% of the world's currency is in actual physical cash. So our money is already digital. So I find it so interesting when people, they don't understand that concept because it's like personally in your own life, do you use cash or do you swipe your card? And Everybody just swipes their card. So especially now when you're seeing like Uh, I always have told people the first sign of a currency crisis is when you see the smallest denominators of currency being taken out of circulation because of a coin shortage of coronavirus, they say, we are not using coins anymore. I've been to multiple stores where they tell me, sorry, I can't accept your cash, like spend using plastic. So we we are experiencing issues of our own in the United States. And I think that for people that want to hedge against that and get into a form of money that is comparable to gold, Bitcoin is the best and only option you have right now.
0: So I love your handle on Twitter and a lot of your different um, articles. You know, you always refer to yourself as be your own bank, be your own bank. Maybe you can break that down for a little bit, because for us a little bit, because I, I just love that. I think it's very clever.
1: Thank you. You know, and it's interesting too, because growing up, I always had my screen name as Bank of Erica, just because I thought it was funny, like Bank of America, Bank of Erica. And now here I am helping people become financially sovereign. So uh, it's interesting story. I think people are definitely, they're definitely prepped for what they're supposed to do in life. But uh, the concept of being your own bank is, is super interesting because up until this point, the only way that you could remain to have your money intact and not have to worry about trusting a third party has always been storing cash in your mattress. Even people are storing cash, storing gold, just having assets in your physical control. Now, we can tell that that gets messy because someone can rob you. Uh, there's no insurance on them. Um, a fire could happen. Who knows what happens? So that there is risk, and that's why people do put their money into banks. But what the huge innovation of Bitcoin is is that you can now have your assets stored digitally in a place that is locked up where nobody else can have access to that account. And what that does is it, it brings personal accountability into your world to where if you forget your seed phrase, then nobody can help you. And then also... But it's also great because let's say that you make everyone else mad because of your opinions, nobody can steal your money. And this is another great innovation because say, for example, you have to flee as a refugee. If you're fleeing, you can't flee with gold. You can't flee with cash because you will very likely get robbed. I mean, if you're going to the airport, $10,000 is your limit. With Bitcoin, as long as I remember my 12 to 24 word seed phrase, my wealth is intact. I can cross borders and nobody even has to know that I have money stored on the Bitcoin blockchain. So the ability for people to be their own bank in terms of just holding your money and not having to trust a third party, that is why I think it's important, but What you're seeing now is you're seeing a DeFi movement. So DeFi is decentralized finance, and it's even more cutting out the banks. It's allowing people to take loans out from each other, to take loans out from a community. So in one sense, it it provides uh, better interest rates to people who are willing to stake and put up their funds as collateral. And then it also provides like just, you know, You don't have to have a credit check in order to get funding. It's really cutting out VCs. It's definitely cutting out these middlemen that have been, if you ask me, they've been barriers to innovation. Funding is a huge barrier to innovation. So
0: on that same vein then, are there other projects that you like? Because I know we have been talking specifically about Bitcoin, but then you did say the altcoins, and and there is a difference between the altcoins and the shitcoins. What have you seen that might be interesting for people to take a look at or to read more about? Um, What are you watching yourself?
1: So one of my favorite tokens that I do like to talk about is it's called BAT, Basic Attention Token, and they are a browser. So Brendan Eich, who created Firefox, uh, Mozilla Firefox, he also is, I think, one of the main inventors of JavaScript. And he created a third platform called The basic attention token, I'm sorry, the Brave browser, and the native token to this browser is BAT BAT. Basic attention token, and uh, basically what this does is, is Brendan saw a huge issue because when he created Firefox, he saw it as a way for people to have control over their data and to be able to monetize sharing data to the internet. What happened was completely opposite. It ha- what happened was your Google's, your Facebook, they monopolized the amount of money that people can make off their data because. They just, I I don't know how they did it, but they just manipulated people into giving it up for free. And now data is more expensive than oil, but all of us provide data, but none of us are getting paid. So what uh, Brendan did was he created a third browser which is, uh, if you know about browsers, Mozilla is probably one of the most secure respects your privacy, but basic attention token, the Brave browser, is definitely one that you, you are not getting tracked, your ads are getting blocked. Now, if you did want to see ads and get rewarded for seeing those ads, you can turn it on in your browser and your browser awards you in basic attention token if you choose to view these ads. So... I just see an economy there where people are actually getting compensated for wanting to share their information. The second one is Ethereum or Ethereum Classic. I'm kind of, I do see some things that Ethereum Classic is going to be developed on a little bit more. But to clarify, each coin runs on its own blockchain. Bitcoin is its own blockchain, so it is its own ledger. Ethereum is its own blockchain, meaning it has its own ledger. Now, one of the great innovations of Ethereum is that people can create tokens that are built on the Ethereum blockchain very, very easily. So when you see a lot of these tokens, they don't actually have development into their own blockchain. They are just pegged to the Ethereum blockchain, which is written in the language of Solidity, which is very easy for developers, even new developers to write in. So you're seeing all of these different, interesting financial products, a lot of them scams right now being built on top of Ethereum. So in terms of use case, in terms of developers who are excited and interested in, in building decentralized platforms, Ethereum is something that uh, I think they did more transactions in like three weeks than Coinbase did. And Coinbase has been around since 2013, 2014. So you really are, are looking at a group of people who want to cut out these middlemen institutions, even though Coinbase and your Binance... They're kind of like on our side because they're crypto companies. They still are third parties that are barriers to liquidity. And now that you can do everything on chain of Ethereum, um, people are, are definitely opting into that.
0: Well, and I know for what, three, four years, I've been telling my listeners, you know, if your business has anything to do with contractual law or have contracts in it, or you work in accounting or you work in one of any 50 different niches, I mean you guys better be paying attention because the landscape is changing very easily. And why are you going to pay someone $10,000 to write a contract where you can do it on the Ethereum blockchain for yourself or you can hire someone to do a specialized project just for you? Because it's it's removing that trust. It's the, This is a trustless system and you can set everything up in the chain so it does what you need it to do at the right time when certain milestones have been hit. And I mean, that's so powerful when you just start thinking about that and how it all fits together and the implications of that in our world and how that's going to change the industry and the landscape.
1: Yeah, I mean, because with contracts, they are adhere by these rules. And if you don't, we have to come after you. Correct. They are very much, you know, post-offense, you go after people, which is why I think like the SEC and all of these different, like everything that's on the NASDAQ should become on a blockchain eventually because you can write into code The specifications and the ways that this can work. So, for example, let's say that you have a a huge Fortune 500 company and you have all of these investors that need to get paid out. You could just write that into a smart contract and, and you can have independent auditors come in and make sure that that smart contract is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And that gets rid of costs, that gets rid of lawyer fees. It gets rid of, you know, having to chase people after the fact just in case they don't do it. And uh, yeah, you're, you're right to tell these people that they need to keep an eye out on the blockchain space.
0: Well, and there's a ton of other industries that I've been warning people about. Like, I would never call myself a futurist by any means, but I mean, the differences that we're seeing and the changes that we're seeing with artificial intelligence, with robotics, with all of these different things and and people who are holding on to the past and think that, you know, your job is still going to exist in 10 or 20 or 50 years. It's just asinine. And that's why one of the reasons I have such a massive problem with education at the moment, because I mean, we're... Teaching the next generation to do jobs that will not exist when they enter the workforce. Like, that's just irresponsible. So, I mean, I'm always trying to hammer home to people that they need to be looking at these new technologies because they really are, they're, they're not changing the world in 50 years. They're changing the world right now. It is happening as we speak. And every day jobs are becoming obsolete. So please be prepared.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. One of the things that the blockchain center is doing right now is we've partnered with UC Berkeley in creating a course and it's a four week course. um, And we give students a blockchain certification at the end of it. But what it is, it's a real deep immersion into the intersection between blockchain, business and law. And so it's not technical for developers, uh, but it does give people an understanding of how blockchain can fit into their specific sphere. Also, too, um, just to your point of education being a huge issue, I, I always have found, too, even in my own education, is that the people who are teaching me are the people who failed, right? The people who are teaching me business are the people who they failed as business people and now they're teaching. Um, And I tell young kids all the time, the next illiteracy is going to be the inability to code. It's the inability to speak the language of computers. So I'm a little bit glad because I see, like, for example, my niece, they're teaching her coding and she's, you know, nine years old. Um, And then, but I still you know, something has to change with the education system. And first of all, the education system should never, ever, ever be run by the government. That is just a tool for indoctrination. Uh, and secondly... Which
0: is why the government runs it. But exactly. There's, there's not a mistake. Like there was nothing like, it's not a mistake. Like That is specifically the reason why that government is in the education business.
1: Yeah. But then, you know, because of the internet, you have so many options at your fingertips. One, you know, the course of blockchain center, we are signing people up for cohorts right now. We also have, um, we also have scholarships for students that maybe can't pay directly for it. And we like to place people into companies and and keep an eye out on where uh, students are moving. Also though, it's like you know, I have, I have an app on my phone that will teach me how to code in JavaScript and C++ for Bitcoin. And the creator of this app said during coronavirus, he was like, if any kids want to get on it, I'll give you the code and you can get in for free. You're seeing a community of people that are like you and I that actually care about the next generation. And I'm so thankful because I do feel like anybody who is open-minded enough to understand that, hey, uh, things need to be more decentralized. We need a complete shift in the system. They are the ones that are pushing forward in this. And they all share an ethos to where they think that the education system has failed us. You know, uh, tell me, I mean, take a survey and it's like, how many people were taught financial literacy in school? Nobody. How many people were sent uh, credit cards on their 18th birthday? And they had no idea what they were buying into. So, Um, I think you're seeing a, a whole generation of people that are really frustrated. You're seeing a whole generation of people who saw their parents lose their home in the financial crisis and they're like, okay, well, let's move to an online world where YouTube has taught me so much. YouTube, bitch, shoot, they've taught me so much. So let's continue to move into this online world and we don't have to go through traditional schools anymore, which is also interesting because like just from a a grand scope, when I see everything fitting in together, you're seeing huge disruption when it comes to students actually going to school because of coronavirus. So I think that this is kind of like, really, it's such a perfect storm. It's such a perfect storm.
0: Yeah. And see, that's what I'm quite surprised because by blocking out the schools, you know, they're actually helping us. Which I mean, like, I, I don't understand that. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. I've never seen them help us ever with anything. Like it's it's always been a bit of a us versus them mentality. And I still can't understand why they're just giving our numbers and, and us can be whatever uh, group you, you want to identify with. But I mean... Like I'm I'm seeing record numbers of people who are visiting my website, reading my content, coming to look at how to move overseas, how to get offshore, alternative assets, just an alternative to the narrative that we've been taught through mainstream media, through education, through the government. And it's like it actually makes our job so much easier. And you know, you've been in this space since 2015 in a professional context. You know, I've been in the offshore space for a very, very, very long time. I mean, I've never seen a like a perfect storm like you just said as it is coming together right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's just the time. I think that probably the powers that be are maybe a little upset that this is happening and they're upset that they're making all of these different losing moves. But I think they do still have control over those who will forever remain brainwashed, you know. They will, there's nothing we can do about those people. I consider them lost causes. I think what you and I are doing in this space is more taking those who are like, all right, something's wrong. I don't actually have the capacity to act on that thing that's wrong. I don't have the capacity to make my life a little bit more safe, but it's okay. It's not that bad. But now- it's like, first of all, a lot of people, they got they got a three-month break, right? Coronavirus happened, everyone had to quarantine. So A, they have the time to think about these things that really matter. B, they see the social unrest. They see the forced lockdowns. They see these home, everybody's on house arrest. They see like, you know, so many people in low-level positions in major power trips. And then you have obviously the internet that is able to side skirt and and give us information that we couldn't find elsewhere. So it's it's this storm of people who they understood that there was something wrong, but they didn't have the ability to act on it. And now they do because things are getting a lot more serious. So I'm I'm excited because I see a lot of, personally, I see a lot of gold bugs. I see a lot of really intelligent people who are like, I, I've always wanted to learn about Bitcoin, but because they were so wrapped up in their day-to-day, they never did. But now there is a sense of urgency. And so while those people who will never be converted, there are lost causes like I, I do feel for them like a little bit, but they also make me really upset because uh, they're mean. <laughs> they're really mean. Uh, I, I think that the people who are going to make it out of this, uh, those are, I mean, those are more intelligent people that should be the rulers of whatever world comes out of this when this crashes down. Those people will be in charge and they should be. And eventually, you know, things don't stay perfect forever. But I'm I'm excited to see what comes out of a world where I think that people in Bitcoin, people who have exited the United States, they're going to be in power. And because of that, things are just going to be run a lot better.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think that there is, you know, there was probably a core group of uh, God knows how many people who were looking at alternatives. But then there was a much, much larger group of people who knew that something was wrong, but didn't know what it was. And now with this pandemic, it's like, People, as you said, have now time to think about it. But I mean, the barrier for entry for people to create content and to provide education is so low now. Like, I mean, anybody can start a YouTube channel. You can start a channel with your phone. And there are people who are doing videos and creating content and sharing what they've learned with the world for, for nothing. Like it's just, it's so cheap to enter this space of, of content creation. And all the, this much larger group of people who understood that there was something wrong is now starting to put the pieces together. And I'm, I mean, they might not have the full picture of what is happening, but I mean, they've made more progress in the last three, four months than, than we did in the three, four, five years before that of, of waking people up to how the system is set up and how it's rigged to, to not be in your best interest
1: and and the way that i think about it too is that while there are those people the, the way that i say it is um the divide is going to get deeper so while there are those people who were on the fence beforehand some of them are going to make so much progress and they're going to come to the quote unquote light and then you also see these people who are going to fall very very deep into the darkness of lies yeah. so in both directions there is crazy progress being made i do think that you know if no matter what happens in the election, no matter who wins, we're probably going to see some level of a civil war happen.
0: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the violence on the street right now, people think it's bad. I think it's just the beginning. I mean, it's just, you, you just can't have conversations with people at the moment. I mean, they are so divided. And it's so funny because I mean, if I say anything bad about Biden, people automatically like call me a Trump lover. And I'm like, I never said I love Trump. I'm a libertarian anarchist. Like, I mean, like they're all scum. Like I don't like, I don't like any of them, you know. Um, I, I I now actually have to put that into my emails. You know, anytime I say something bad about one side, it doesn't mean that I'm love the other side. Um, but they just jump to these these conclusions, which I just think is so bizarre.
1: It is bizarre. And what frustrates me too, especially like I'm a minority female, right? So based off how I look, you would think that I fit into this category where I'm a left-leaning, like blue-haired liberal. Now that's not the case. And I love it because I can kind of Trojan horse people and I can have conversations with people that other people unfortunately are not able to have. Um, But what I'm seeing is that I'm seeing that people will assume that I hate Trump. And while I don't necessarily like him, while I question a lot of his policies and while I'm like, dude, can you just chill a little bit on the rhetoric? (laughs) You know, I don't hate him, but they assume that maybe because of how I look that they automatically are like, this girl has to hate him. And it's just frustrating. It's really frustrating to, to have a different worldview on a very controversial topic and then be immediately written off as an evil person, just because you have a different view on a very controversial topic. And, you know, the other side, like, I guess both sides, really, they don't take time to understand the other people. So it was interesting just yesterday, I was uh, on the, I was walking down the beach and there was a, a Mexican Hispanic person who was water. He was leaf blowing. Right. And he like, didn't understand that I was there or something. So he was still leaf blowing and like a couple like dirt got in my face. And I just continued to walk and then I see this girl, you might want to cut this out, McKellen, sorry, <laughs> but I see this girl, she's a black girl and she's yelling at him and she's like, she's like, how come, she was like just cussing at him and she was like, how come you, He was like, she was like, you blew a bunch of dirt onto us, you're an idiot, you blew a bunch of dirt onto us but when she walks by, you're not blowing any dirt onto her. And I had to stop. And I had to talk to this girl because what she's assuming, and then I saw another gentleman walk up up, and he was a black guy and he reiterated what she said. And he was like, kind of like a park person. He was like maintaining the parks. And he said, why would you do that? Like, why would you not stop for her, but you stop for her. And so I had to stop her. And I was like, please don't be angry. Like, He actually, he's just an idiot. You know, he just is not paying attention to what he's doing. And he accidentally blew dirt onto you because he also accidentally blew dirt onto me, but I'm not like yelling at him. And I was like, so I just don't want you to think that it's because of skin color that, he's blowing dirt onto you, I think he's just an idiot, so it's okay, you know, calm down. And she thanked me afterwards and she was like, yeah, you're right, you know, you're right, he didn't mean it. But it's just so frustrating because like, nobody in this equation was a white American. It was a Hispanic person who probably didn't speak English, it was a, a group of black girls and it was me, an Asian female. And so it's just this weird like, let's judge everything by this superficial surface level thing that nobody chose. Like I didn't choose to be born in the body that I'm born into and neither did those girls and neither did you and neither did anybody. But like, let's stop having conversations and let's just judge people immediately because of how they look. And, you know, people- And everything
0: becomes a racist I- issue. Everything becomes a red-blue. Everything becomes a left-right. I mean, it's it's just not- So the, divisive. It's not the rest of the world. And it's so funny because I mean, I've traveled quite extensively nobody talks politics like the Americans. Like politics is now in every facet, every square inch of your life has to do with politics. And like, even I'm getting into it. And I mean, I'm not American. I mean, and even when I say libertarian, just for the record, everyone, I'm saying libertarian with a small L. I'm using it as a philosophical idea, not as a party. I'm not not talking about a political organization. I'm talking about... An ideology of how I structure my life on not doing harm to others, you know, not stealing, um, doing all that I will say I will do. You know, the basis for contractual law. I mean, those are ideas to live by. But as soon as you hear someone say one thing, there's so much baggage behind it that people automatically put on you. It's it's just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely pure emotional manipulation because you're seeing a lot of really good people get caught up in the, you know, in the emotional manipulation that's happening. I've seen personally, you know, girlfriends of mine who I've been there with, for them through so much. And then they find out that I think differently on a very controversial topic and automatically they dump me as a friend. And it's, it's a little frustrating because I know that they don't actually mean it, so.
0: Well, I want to bring things... Back around to Bitcoin, yeah, to Bitcoin. <laughs> because I know we got on a little tangent there, and that's okay, because that's what we do on this show. We definitely we go on our little tangents. But tell me more about the Blockchain Center, how this became, what you guys are working on, um, why Miami uh, I think that these are all important things.
1: So the blockchain center was born out of the initial Bitcoin center that opened up in New York City in 2013. So Nick Spanos, who is my business partner in opening this blockchain center in Miami, uh, he opened up a physical trading pl- location for Bitcoin within 100 feet of the New York Stock Exchange. And this was just really a huge mass adoption, educate people, because he is a technologist who has also been involved in politics, also was involved with the Ron Paul campaign, and wanted to see this form of money succeed. Now, obviously, regulation gets in the way. So uh, the New York State DFS started this it's called the Bit License. And it's so interesting how this works out because Ben Loskey, the guy who created the Bit License, once he created the Bit License, left his government position and started a firm that help people apply and navigate Bit License. So such That's crony brilliant. capitalism. <laughs> I don't. He's, he's horrible. He, there's a special place for him. Um, anyways, so uh, Nick, I've known him because of campaigning for Ron Paul back when I was a teenager. We got reconnected in the world of cryptocurrencies, and he and my business partner, Scott Spiegel, they were interested in opening up another location in Miami to model the original Bitcoin Center. Now, why Miami, right? Miami is the capital of Latin America. I. I mean, Spanish is probably the number one language down here. When I'm in Miami-Dade County, I do not feel like I'm living in an American city. You see a lot of Venezuelans, Colombians, uh, Nicaraguans, everyone from South America that has left these oppressive regimes, these communist uh, governments. They have come to Miami and there is such an opportunity here for them. Now, also, Miami has the second most international banks in the United States, second only to New York. Plus, you know, you're seeing, because of coronavirus, a mass exodus from New York. Most of them are coming here to South Florida. The quality of life is just so much better. So um, Miami was just, it is the door to Latin America. And when you see new technologies, especially like cryptocurrencies and blockchain take off, you're going to see it in places where there isn't so much of a stigma and where the infrastructure fits. Uh, The best example I can give is that like, in South America and many parts of the world, they never put down the infrastructure for cell phone, for, for landlines, for phones, because by the time that cell phones came out, they didn't need to innovate. Everyone just got a cell phone. So there's not this landline infrastructure that was built in the United States. And you're just going to see that same type of thing happen where um, the they, send, they have decentralized communities. They don't have... This is a 60% of the world's population that doesn't have access to banks. And now because of Bitcoin, all they need is a cell phone signal and Wi-Fi, uh, a cell phone and a Wi-Fi, and they can you know, participate in a global economy. So Miami was very strategic in that sense. Plus two, uh, the government here is just so on board for it. They're really trying to change the city from a tourist place to a fintech city. Austin and Miami really are the two places where you're seeing your new Silicon Valleys rise up. So when we opened the blockchain center, we had the mayor of Miami came out and he did a ribbon cutting ceremony for us. Uh, The Downtown Development Authority, the Beacon Council, the different chambers of commerce. They're very interested in seeing the blockchain center succeed and seeing young talent move here because we want to make the city better in general. So Miami definitely has a super special place in my heart. Hard. Now, what we do now is mainly focused around education. We do have consulting programs where we help people safely navigate the Bitcoin system. One of the biggest barriers to entry for Bitcoin is that it's a little bit complicated, especially for people who are not native users to technology, especially people that maybe are a little bit older and just would like their hand held on how to buy Bitcoin safely, uh, because there are definitely a lot of scams out there. Um, so we help people navigate that system as secure as possible and provide them with the best options based on their individual needs. Uh, we also are uh, we work with clients who are people within the blockchain industry that need exposure to customers like ours. Uh, these people provide you know, so many interesting financial products that a person who doesn't know about Bitcoin, they wouldn't know that they exist. For example, you can get really high interest bearing accounts earning 11% on a stable coin. You know, you can loan out your Bitcoin, get a loan, over collateralized, no credit check needed. Uh, There's just a lot of different financial options that people have that they'll see that because there is no middleman of banks taking their cut, uh, you both sides of the party, it's just more beneficial for them. So uh, we definitely help walk people through that through our consulting. We also have clients that we help get them exposure. Um, and then the last thing we do is, is what I talked about a little bit earlier with just education. We partner with UC Berkeley and we provide a very comprehensive understanding for people to get a certification and apply blockchain to their particular sphere of influence.
0: Well, I love that you guys do the education because I think that that is really the secret, the key to helping Bitcoin and all of the things that we're talking about today really take it to the next level. And I think anybody who listens or reads or subscribes to my magazine or gets my books or anything knows that I'm all about education, but I'm about education from people who really do it in real life. Like I don't like education in a textbook from some asshole who's never worked with this stuff. You know, like we used an example of university professors who've never built a business, who've never owned a business, who have never grown a business, but they teach business. I can, this is ridiculous. But you guys have been there right from the beginning, especially with your partner. I've watched the Netflix documentary and, you know, you introduced me to Nick and he's a, he's a wild guy. We did some programs together. Um, I was like, yeah, I know Nick. I, I watched him on documentaries from years ago talking about these types of things. So you have the longevity, you have the space, you work in the education. I think this is really important.
1: Yeah, it's just definitely important because you're seeing on the technology side, you are seeing companies build amazing products, and then you're seeing a lot of consumers that are interested, but bridging that gap between the two is where Blockchain Center comes in.
0: Perfect. Well, I love today's conversation. I think it's super, super interesting. Erica, if people want to find out more about what you do, if they want to contact you, if they want to reach out to you, where can we send them?
1: So the best place is blockchaincenter.com. Blockchain, and actually you should visit the link that we made for Macau blockchain slash expat. And you can get some interesting information on what we are doing. Another place you can find me is on Twitter. Only follow me if you don't get easily offended because I say a lot of uh, sassy stuff, uh, but bank Erica's of Erica <laughs> Twitter
0: is the best. I like, I like commenting on Erica's stuff. It's hilarious.
1: Yeah, it's it's so funny because I just feel like I can get away with things that other people can't, and I <laughs> tend to use it. And I and I'm going to do justice to everyone who wants to say the things that I can say that who wants to say things that they're not allowed to say. I will say it for you. Uh, but you can find me at Bank of Erica, Bank of E R Y K A is how you spell my name.
0: Perfect. So check Erica out on Twitter. One more time, the link for the Blockchain Center, we're going to create a special link for Expat Money Show for escape artists, listeners, and readers. We're going to make sure that there's specialized content. I think you guys do consultations. You guys do a ton of like super, super cool stuff. So give me that URL one more time.
1: BlockchainCenter.com slash expat, E-X-P-A-T.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Erica. I really appreciate your time today. Amazing conversation. And I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you, Mikel. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our Expat Money Forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. My friends over at SerenityNewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.